Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the DLA Piper AI podcast series. For those of you who have not yet tuned into the previous editions, the goal of this series is to discuss significant legal considerations around artificial intelligence in various fields of law. And today we are exploring the very interesting topic of AI and children. We will discuss AI products aimed at children and the use of children's data in the context of AI. My name is Heidi Waam. I'm a partner at DLA Piper Brussels, where I'm heading the digital data and cyber practice. I will be your host for today, together with my colleague, Simon. Hi, everyone. And for this episode, we are not alone. We have two special guests today. So I'm very excited to introduce Professor Dr. Eva Lievens and Dr. Valerie Verdoot, both of Ghent University. Eva and Valerie, welcome to this podcast and please introduce yourselves. Okay, hey, hello. My name is Eva Lievens. I'm an associate professor at the Faculty of Law and Criminology of Ghent University, where I lead the research group Law and Technology. And our research in the research group relates to the legal impact of the design and deployment of technology in today's society. And actually, much of our work focuses on children's rights in the digital environment. So we look at how children are affected by technologies and how the legal framework addresses risks and maximizes opportunities for them. So hey everyone, uh, I'm Valerie Bendot and I'm a postdoc researcher and a member of the research group of law and technology. Um, and as Eva, I'm also a member of the Human Rights Center at Ghent University. Um, and in my research, I focus mostly on uh, the legal and the fundamental rights questions that, um, that originate from the development of, of new media and technology, uh, and in particular regarding the protection and participation of children. Thank you both for being here today, and we're sure you'll serve as excellent guides for this episode. Simon, can you maybe explain a bit our considerations to choose for this topic, AI and children? Definitely. Over recent months, we've been noticing, for example, in panel discussions and in policy papers on AI, the recurrence of renewed concern for children. This is not something new, but it does seem like the topic is drawing increasing attention and that there are increasing concerns about the effects that the rise of AI may have, especially for children. We know from the GDPR, uh, which came into effect in 2018, that the GDPR explicitly states that children merit specific protection. And with regard to such protection, the regulation refers to two categories. On the one hand, the use of children's data for the purposes of marketing and the creation of user profiles. While on the other hand, also the collection of personal data with regard to children using services offered directly to the child. In addition, the GDPR, when it comes to transparency, specifies that clear and plain language should be used to communicate and inform children. And also, it states that when assessing risk under the GDPR, for example, in a data protection impact assessment, a DPIA, or when a data, data breach has occurred, that children are to be considered as a vulnerable group of data subjects, uh, which increases the risk when processing their personal data. So under the current framework, we actually see that some companies have developed specific policy and approaches with regard to processing of children's data in particular companies which are offering online services to children. However, most companies do not specifically focus on this today. One example is the age verification requirement that might follow from GDPR. Today, most online services do not check the age of their users. 
And if they do, it often does not go much further than the mere self-certification clicking, yes, I'm older than 18. So in our view, even after five years of application of the GDPR, there is still only limited guidance and case law with regard to this topic. Indeed, but recently we have seen some things moving. So there's quite a lot of legislation coming out of Europe, which gives explicitly some more attention to children. If you look, for example, at the Digital Services Act, which already entered into application for some very large online platforms and search engines, there's a specific provision in there on advertising with regards to children. So advertising uh, using children's data is prohibited. So this is a step forward because it really has an explicit provision in there. But when it comes then specifically to artificial intelligence and data protection and in relation to children, um, I think there the, the issue or, or the problem is that what we see as traditional issues in the field of data protection, that these would be amplified when you're, um, when you're applying AI to children or in the context of children and AI. So this is the reason why we are so happy to discuss this topic with you, Eva and Valerie, as researchers on this uh, topic, and to really dig into specific issues that may arise when companies develop AI products aimed at children, or when they want to use children's data to train an AI system. Indeed. Turning to Eva and Valerie, maybe you could start by giving us some concrete examples of how children are one might be confronted with AI. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I can think of several examples in which children are already today uh, being confronted with AI. Huh? I mean, platform services and AI-powered apps, they are pretty much an everyday thing. And they've also seamlessly integrated uh, into the lives of children. I mean, they can't get enough of social media, video sharing platforms. They play games on interactive gaming platforms um, and so on. So children are really active uh, participants on these platforms. And interestingly, these platforms, they rely on algorithms to curate content um, tailored to the individual preferences of their users, so really to recommend content to, uh, to their users, including children. So already today, children are spending a lot of time watching uh, content uh, that is recommended by AI based on their viewing history, based on their preferences. You know, some of these platforms, they use uh, fun and entertaining filters that you can use over your uh, images or your videos, and children use them frequently. And these rely on augmented reality technology. Um, these platforms, they also use natural language processing tools uh, to, to monitor and to remove hate speech or, or hateful comments, uh, for instance, or other kinds of uh, harmful content. Um, aside, uh, aside from these platform services, you you could also think of like AI enabled toys um, or voice assistants that these are also making their way into uh, into the household and so also into the homes of children. Um, children, you know, they play with them, they ask them questions, they talk to them, they ask them, you know, play my favorite song and so on. So yeah, I see many examples already uh, popping up. Yeah, and in addition, um, AI is also increasingly present in the educational context, so in schools. There are also many educational apps and games that are being developed, which rely on AI to offer personalized learning experiences, so tailored to specific children. So imagine, for instance, a scenario where um, a child's skill level and progress in, in class aren't just grades on a report card, uh, as it uh, used to be, but um, really cues for an app. An app um, can then respond by giving 
specific exercises started at the child or feedback that is tailored to, to what the student needs at that moment in time. So it's a bit like having um, a virtual tutor. Another example, very recent and, and um, very much uh, in the picture, for instance, also at our university, is that uh, students turn to ChatGPT to, um, to make assignments, um, even sometimes exams, if it's take-home exams. So there have been many discussions already about what is allowed and what is not allowed. Um, and these discussions are not only happening in higher education, but also in secondary schools, uh, primary schools. And, and also, perhaps finally, what we also see is um, use of biometrics, such as facial recognition technology, for instance, to check attendance in schools, to see if children uh, are present. This has already been deployed in some EU member states, and in those member states, we also have seen that data protection authorities have um, issued decisions and, and have said that this is not really um, a proportionate way of, of, uh, of using uh, AI technology. So also in this context, AI is very prominently present in the lives of children. Thank you for all these examples. I already uh, thought of some examples myself, but this is really an impressive list of examples. So let's now maybe look at the data protection risks. AI is a new technology, which per definition involves uh, processing a lot of data, which inevitably will contain personal data. So Valerie, are there any new privacy risks that we should be aware of specifically when considering AI and children? Yeah, I think there's a number of, um, of important privacy risks uh, emerging from the use of AI uh, in relation to children. And I think the first one relates to AI-enabled profiling of children. So again, if you take the example that I gave of social media and video sharing platforms, now you have these data-driven algorithms which are at the heart of these services and which predict um, and which understand users' interests based on their viewing history, on their search questions, um, and so on. And so this automated data collection process, it leads to, uh, to the creation of user profiles. And these profiles, they are then uh, used to tailor content and they are thus, you know, shaping the content consumption as well of young audiences on the platform. If you think about this, of course, economically, uh, these children's profiles are very valuable because, I mean, it can allow companies um, to build to build a commercial relationship with them from a very young, very early age. Um, but you see lots of researchers, including ourselves and um, policymakers as well, who are becoming increasingly concerned about, you know, the potential negative uh, impact of creating such profiles um, on children's privacy, but also on their, their development. And um, we've also argued in the past that, you know, this can undermine um, children's rights to freely experiment with um, and to, to critically reflect on, on their interactions online and the activities that they do online. Um, because it's, you know, these activities are no longer free from uh, from supervision, from tracking, and it may lead to chilling effects. Right? It may lead them to, um, you know, to, they might become unwilling to, to, to search for certain content or, or to search for certain information. Um, this, you know, this lack of, of control over personal data, it also affects their ability to develop, um, their ability to, to experiment with their own identity. Um, which are all crucial elements of um, of the right to privacy of the child, of course. Um, and on top of that, I think the the introduction of these AI based applications um, they can also have side effects at the societal level because if you think about it, um, it could lead, for instance, to 
to, to children normalizing surveillance and datafication and commercialization. Um, I mean, many of these applications, they are driven by commercial interests and they are deliberately designed um, to ensure the maximum engagement of children. Um, and yeah, I mean, there there's clear risks here, I think, to, to children's right to privacy and not just maybe the right to privacy, but also linked to, to other rights, like um, the right uh, to development is a crucial one. Uh, and I think maybe the right to freedom of thought. Um, and especially if you think of the commercial interests here that are at stake, also um, the right to protection from economic exploitation. So yeah, I think big, uh, big risks, uh, let's say for, uh, for children's rights. And, and perhaps to add to that, another important issue is that very often children do not understand or, or fully grasp the, the scope of the underlying data processing um, activities um, in their interaction with, uh, with AI systems. There is actually relatively little research uh, about children's understanding of these complex AI systems, but we do know from research about behavioral advertising, this is a little bit more uh, research, but we know from that research that uh, children do not understand which data about them is being used in order to show them particular uh, ads. And if this is explained to them, they often think it's creepy. Uh, they also think it's not really okay if they do not know this um, beforehand. So there is really a problem um, in relation to transparency and this problem is exacerbated regarding more complex systems where there is even less insight into how exactly AI systems uh, generate certain output, uh, the so-called black box problem um, that is often being referred to in this context. And of course, if you can't really understand the mechanics behind what is happening, it's also difficult to spot potential risks, uh, potential harms or uh, violations of children's rights. But perhaps this is, only, uh, this is also a problem that is not only relevant to children, but to adults in general. Um, this is also often mentioned that um, very, very few people actually understand what is going on. So if we do more to protect children, maybe adults will also benefit from this. Yes, indeed. I think transparency in general is challenging when it comes to um, AI. And I think transparency is sometimes already challenging when it comes to basic data processing activities. I always believe there's some kind of tension between really ensuring that you convey the message in a way that people understand, but then on the other hand, also complying with the very strict requirements of the legislation, which requires you to communicate very specific elements to people. We don't really see how you can communicate that in a very clear way because it's, uh, because it's so legal. And would you have from your practice or from your research any recommendations or interesting best practices that you're willing to share with regard to transparency? Yes, uh, indeed. Uh, the, the, the legislation requires you to um, provide understandable privacy policies and especially uh, when uh, they are directed at children. And we know from research that children, just as adults, again, uh, do not like to read long, complicated texts. <laughs> they do not like it. And as a consequence, they do not do it. Um, but I think that data controllers, especially um, towards children, they can really try to be more innovative, more creative. Um, there are relatively little efforts so far in this uh, in this area. 
but you could think about using visualizations, um, fun layered not notices, um, videos, animation. And I think the most important best practice here is to actually involve children. So involve children in the designing of the information. In the past, for instance, we have uh, organized participatory workshops with children in which we have asked them to provide us with advice on how they would like to be informed about their data subject rights. So they um, they, they started to create uh, certain uh, formats that they would like, and it was always a more fun format. So um, videos um, also very much related to their daily lives. So they like to see people that they know explaining something. They like to have concrete examples, concrete illustrations that give them some kind of idea of how this or what this would mean for them personally. So that's, I think, something that is that is really important. It does require an investment. It does require um, certain skills to uh, involve children. Um, it does require time, but it can really be very valuable. They can really give you some some interesting um, takes on on informing them and having the right formats to do so. At the same time, I think it's also important to recognize that there are limits to transparency, um, especially in relation to complex AI systems. Um, so even with um, giving people in general or children in particular information, it might still be quite difficult to understand how certain uh, technologies work. So I think it's also important not to use transparency as an excuse to do less. Uh, so that's the, the actual obligations that are also imposed in relation to the use of certain AI-based systems that these are really complied with and, and informing about them um, is, an, is an extra necessary step. But the obligations themselves are really the baseline, especially towards children as well. That's very helpful. Um, on another point, in the European Union, we are seeing the first GDPR enforcement actions in relation to AI systems. A significant one which relates to ChatGPT indicates that children's data protection has become one of the priorities for regulators. As has been reported in the press, in April, the Italian Data Protection Authority ordered to suspend the offering of ChatGPT in Italy. And one of the conditions for lifting the temporary ban concerned an alleged infringement of GDPR with regard to the age verification requirements for children. Although the terms and conditions of ChatGPT already forbid access to users below the age of 13, measures had to be implemented to detect the user's age and to block access accordingly to avoid an alleged infringement of Article 8 of the GDPR. The order further also referred to the risk that the responses provided by ChatGPT might be unsuitable for children. So as a response, an age verification pop-up banner has been implemented for ChatGPT. How do you see online age verification systems developing? Do you think that new mechanisms will appear as a result of EU initiatives? I have been doing research in this area since about 2003, and age verification has been the recurring theme. But um, indeed, it is definitely the case that if we look at legislative developments, it is increasingly explicitly mentioned in legislation. So for GDPR, it's not explicitly mentioned 
in the text itself, but um, guidance documents have referred to it, uh, that, that it's necessary if you want to rely on, on parental consent, for instance, or the, the age of consent of a child. Um, we have the Audiovisual Media Services Directive. There as well, a video sharing platforms uh, can use age verification to comply with their obligations to protect children from harmful content. And then the most recent one is, of course, the Digital Services Act. It mentions age verification as a possible risk mitigation measure for the very large online platforms. So we see that the, the, um, the references to age verification they uh, increase, so a lot of attention from the legislator, but actually in practice, and this has been a very, um, a very big problem for a long time, the technologies that are available up until today, they are often ineffective, they are easily circumventable. Many children know how to circumvent age verification, for instance, for the self-reporting, um, Ten-year-olds, they know perfectly which year of birth they need to enter in order to be allowed on a platform that only allows children above the age of 13. Um, so they are often ineffective. And of course, for the data controllers or the companies who implement them, the more burdensome a mechanism is, um, the less inclined they are to use it because they want to make sure that the threshold to access the platform or, or the service is not is not too high. Uh, so there is definitely something moving. Um, there are, uh, for instance, also projects at the EU level. The EU Consent Project is a, a recent project commissioned by the EU to uh, work on uh, new age verification methods. Uh, but so far, the, the the mechanisms are not yet um, available. There was also a recent study, very interesting UK study, that also measured effectiveness of these technologies, and the results were disappointing. So I think it's possible that a lot will still happen in the in the coming years, especially given the references and legislation. But it's a slow and long uh, long process. And on that point, I think there may, may also be a tension between, on the one hand, uh, doing age verification, but on the other hand, comply with the GDPR principles like, uh, like data minimization. Yeah, absolutely. I think here data minimization is key. And for instance, some of the most recent technologies um, which use facial recognition or facial estimation, they process biometric data. It's a sensitive category of data. So you're actually collecting more uh, data than than um, than before. Whereas for what we would actually need is only to know is a certain person above or below a certain age. That's actually the only thing that you need to know. But the technologies that are being proposed use much more. So I think that is that is indeed a, a very big tension and, and a challenge to to um, to do this in the right way. Interesting. Yeah, we often get those questions from clients in relation to biometrics and verification. On another point, uh, international treaties such as the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights and the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child include specific rights for children. One core rule is that in making decisions relating to children, the child's best interest must be a primary consideration. And it's quite clear that lawmakers and public authorities must take this requirement into account. 
But to what extent does this right also include an obligation for private companies? And if so, in concrete terms, what measures must companies take to comply? Yeah, so on this, um, quite recently, the, the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child, uh, which is the, the body that, that monitors states' efforts in, um, in realizing the convention and realizing convention rights, and which also provides guidance on how to interpret these rights into new context. Um, and this committee has issued a general comment number 25 on the rights of the child in, in relation to the digital environment. And here in this document, again, um, the committee reiterates that you know states have this obligation to guarantee that businesses in the digital sector specifically that they take up their responsibilities also for children's rights and the way that states have to do this is you know by taking all kinds of necessary measures so think of you know, adopting laws um, developing policies but also uh, monitoring and enforcing these policies so it's really up to the states to make sure that there is uh, robust legislation in place, robust regulation in place to subject companies um, to these um, yeah, responsibilities as well. And so if you look at, at this at the EU level, uh, the best interest of a child principle, is it's also included in Article 24 of the Charter, um, which, which states explicitly that, uh, like you said, the child's best interest must be a primary consideration in all actions relating to children, and it says explicitly whether taken by public authorities or private institutions. So we see already in instruments like the GDPR, like the AVMSD, the DSA, um, also recently the proposal for an AI act, you see that the, all of these instruments, they require private companies to take measures, um, measures that require them to balance children's rights and interests with their own uh, commercial interests um, and with you know, their rights uh, to freedom to conduct a business as well. So I think the best way to do this and, and really to ensure that the best interests um, of the child are also a primary consideration is uh, to conduct the children's rights impact assessments. So whenever you are developing a new service or a new product, um, an AI service or, or an AI product, I mean, you need to take into account the impact of your service or product on the full range of children's rights, so not just the right to privacy, for instance, but also um, all of your other rights that are relevant um, in this context. Um, and I'm thinking of, um, so UNICEF, for instance, they have developed interesting tools um, or the UK's uh, Digital Future Commission. I mean, they have already some interesting tools for companies to help them uh, in this exercise, in this balancing exercise. Um, and again, I think we mentioned it already earlier, but you know, these children's rights impact assessments, they really require, again, um, active engagement with children. So they, they require that children's views are being taken on board, that they are actively consulted and they that they have a say in this. And that's, you know, also give you weight um, to these views when developing your service. I think that's an interesting point also for uh, DPIAs in general. Under GDPR, we see that for DPIAs, stakeholder involvement is uh, is also recommended. But to be honest, in practice, I think the stakeholder involvement is um, is often limited, but I can imagine that if indeed you would use AI for children, apply it to children and so on, companies should probably further explore that stakeholder involvement, of course, in a way that it remains work workable, but still um, adding it um, as an extra layer to their DPIA uh, could probably reinforce compliance. Turning to another hot topic, the EU institutions are currently finalizing their negotiations on the AI Act. 
Can you explain what requirements the AI Act introduces for AI products offered towards children? Um, yeah, um, I mean, in the in the Commission's proposal uh, for an AI Act, we see already quite a number of references to children and uh, and to children's rights, and even to to General Common Number Twenty Five, which I mentioned earlier. Um, but I guess the key element of the AI Act is its risk based approach, where you have you know a set of obligations for uh, for providers of AI system. Uh, AI systems that you know corresponds to, to the level of risks posed by the particular system, and you have these you know these range from uh, from minimal risks to um, to unacceptable risks, which are also prohibited. And um, first of all, in the, in relation to this category of uh, of unacceptable and so prohibited practices, you see um, you see that here is included AI systems that exploit vulnerabilities of certain vulnerable groups, like children, for instance. Um, and where these systems would materially distort children's behavior and would cause uh, psychological or physical harm. Um, now, as an example, the commission gives here um, an AI-enabled toy or a virtual doll, I think, where um, which would encourage children to engage in, in you know, increasingly or progressively dangerous behavior or challenges. Um, so this would be prohibited. I think, I mean, this is arguably quite a limited uh, category of prohibited practices. But you also have, of course, the high-risk AI systems. And I think there is where the key requirements um, of the, the AI Act uh, will, will lie. So you find the strictest requirements here uh, for providers of such systems and including implementing a, a risk management system. Um, and the commission proposal here mentions that um, the impact of um, of an AI system on children's rights, that this is considered to be uh, particularly relevant when classifying an AI system. So in, in classifying an AI system as a high risk or not. Um, and they also say that, uh, you know, when you are, in, if you are a provider of a high risk AI system and you are implementing your risk management system, then you also need to take specific consideration if your AI system is likely to interact with a child. Now, I mean, does not mean that AI systems that um, that are likely to be accessed by children or, or that are likely to impact them, um, that they are considered uh, high risk by default. And I don't think that um, an addition of this will happen uh, in, uh, in the negotiations because, I mean, in the in the parliament amendments at a certain point, so I think there were two um, of the more than 3,000 amendments uh, which had suggested to do this, which has had suggested that, you know, all all AI systems that are likely to interact with children should be considered um, high-risk AI systems, but this did not make it into the uh, the final compromise text of, of the parliament. So yeah, also maybe uh, interesting is that under the proposal, I mean, providers or users of high-risk AI systems, they're not under an obligation to conduct, um, you know, this, this real ex-ante assessment of these risks to children and their rights. Um, but this could, of course, still change in the final text. And we see in the negotiations that uh, both the Council and the Parliament, they have proposed amendments to include these kinds of uh, fundamental rights assessments as part of, um, of the risk management system. And I think this could yeah, definitely be an important way to ensure um, that children's rights are taken into account. So again, linked to what we said previously. Um, but yeah, we do find it a pity that you know, neither the Commission's proposal, neither the, the EP uh, compromise text or the Council 
um, that they have not introduced a general obligation for specific protection for children, huh? like we see, for instance, um, in the GDPR. So just a general principle or a general obligation for taking the child's best interests, for instance, into account in, in when developing um, AI systems or deploying AI systems. And yeah, we think that this could have been a, um, a better approach to ensure that the best interests of a child um, for all AI systems would have been taken. It, it could have led to more effective uh, rights implementations. That's probably. Okay, clear. In that regard, and maybe more generally, it could be that an AI system is not directed to children, but that it's trained on children's data, especially in combination with weak online age verification tools. And insofar the AI system is indeed trained on users' data, this may mean that many companies might be deploying AI systems that are actually trained on children's data. So do you have any particular concerns with regard to the processing of children's data for such purposes? Yes, I think that there might be uh, several concerns. So the first one uh, we have already talked about, transparency. Very often it will be unknown to the user, in this case a child, whether or not uh, data is actually being used to, to train a model. Um, I think secondly, and that is also related to the, to the AI Act, there uh, will be some obligations about um, training data and quality of data. So uh, you will have a responsibility to know um, which data you are using. And in this case, you refer to the age verification. Well, it might also be important for um, um, uh, those who use those models to actually know if you are being using uh, uh, data of children. Uh, for training. Uh, so there as well, uh, we see a link and there a, a possible solution might be um, uh, adopting um, a data protection by design approach. Um, in the area of children's rights, we often also talk about a more general safety by design approaches where in the building of the system, you already try to take into account that certain sets of data are not used in this case, um, uh, children's um, children's data. Um, and I think, or generally, or in a more abstract way, at this moment in time, it's still very difficult to know what the long-term impact will be of using certain data of children, um, uh, whether in the end it will also affect them especially also if their data is being used for profiling purposes. So not only an impact on the right to development, but also, for instance, freedom of thought. So this is increasingly still largely an academic discussion, but I think it's an important one uh, that um, uh, profiling of children might also really influence how their thoughts, how their behavior, how their opinions are being shaped. So also from that perspective, it's very difficult at this moment in time to exactly know what the effect will be because the systems have not um, have only just begun to be uh, applied. Children who grow up now, we will also only know in in ten years perhaps what possible effect will be. So several concerns I think uh, in this in this area. Well, thank you. Very interesting. And I think it'll, it uh, will be interesting to see how all the EU legislation will interact with each other. Any final thoughts there on the regulatory puzzle, if I can call it uh, like that, that is emerging at EU level today? 
It's, uh, it's very interesting that you call it a regulatory puzzle because um, actually we just wrote a paper in which we try to uh, investigate uh, to what extent all these uh, new legislative acts, uh, whether they're actually a jigsaw that really fit well uh, together, um, or whether it's actually more of a maze, a maze of obligations in which companies have to uh, try to find um, their way. Because at this moment in time, some companies, uh, for instance, video sharing platforms, they will be considered data controllers under GDPR. They will be video sharing platforms under the Audiovisual Media Services Directive. They will be very large online platforms under the DSA and possibly users of AI-based systems, uh, their recommender systems under the proposal for an AI Act. So it's becoming very, very complex. All these instruments have different scopes. They have slightly similar obligations, but not exactly the same obligations. Um, there are different regulators who need to supervise the enforcement of all these different acts. So it, it, it really, at this moment in time, probably still feels more like a maze uh, instead of a, of a, a beautifully fitted um, jigsaw. And I think if we look at this from a practical perspective, it will be very important for companies and especially those companies who fall within the scope of all these instruments to adopt a streamlined approach when it comes to measures that will affect children. I think it will be very important to coordinate the implementation, to review the uh, implementation uh, on a regular basis. So actually, and especially for big companies, I think it's important and worth it to invest in staff with um, children's rights expertise. And again, we have said it a few times uh, during this podcast, but uh, actually consulting children in the process might again be really advisable. So challenging, but, but essential. And I think um, another important element um, is regarding enforcement. Um, we have seen in the past that children are sometimes not really considered a priority in enforcement. So also for regulatory authorities, I think it's important to have a specific staff, specific procedures in place that um, can coordinate actions in this area. And this is only becoming more important given the complexity of, of, the, of the legal landscape. Um, but yeah, we remain optimistic if both the companies and the regulatory authorities take up uh, their responsibility, then uh, hopefully in the future, this whole framework will look more like um, a jigsaw than, uh, than, than a maze. Thank you. Again, very interesting. And so we have already come to the end of this episode on children and AI. Many, many thanks to our guests, Eva and Valerie. We really appreciate that you were willing to participate to this podcast. And so for the listeners, don't forget that all the episodes of this podcast series are available on our DLA Piper website, as well as on Spotify. Thank you for listening and see you, hear you, or speak to you next time. This podcast is intended as a general overview and discussion of the subjects dealt with and does not create a lawyer-client relationship.
It is not intended to be and should not be used as a substitute for taking legal advice in any specific situation. This may qualify as lawyer advertising, requiring notice in some jurisdictions. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. DLA Piper will accept no responsibility for any actions taken on the basis of this podcast. See dlap.pr legal.